0: Are you, are you ready? Ready, ready, ready,
1: ready? Welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL Podcast. Anthony here with you once again, and we are joined by CFL Insider TSN Zone Dave Naylor. Hey, Dave, how's it going?
0: Very well. <laughs> How you doing?
1: Good. What's been up with you?
0: Oh, uh, let's see. Just I was in uh, I was in Kansas City on the weekend for the Bills and the Chiefs, and uh, just a little thing on the schedule drop today, and uh, going to be in Buffalo for Cowboys and Bills on Sunday. So it's kind of where my job shifts a little bit from sort of CFL first and NFL second to this time of year NFL first and CFL second. So it's always a bit of a balance on that. Also keep an eye on college players and things like that. So, but forever busy. You bet. Well, you mentioned the CFL schedule. It was released today. They're going
1: back to a balanced schedule. So pre pandemic, we're kind of everyone's going to see each other. At least it looks like twice sometime, some teams, a couple more, uh, we're opening finally with a great cup rematch.
0: Yeah. I think this has been kind of one of the things the fans wanted to see was a great cup rematch. And like sometimes there's stadium al- availability issues that, that prevent that. And, and I think, you know, you know, the sore spot was in 2023 that there was only one scheduled game between the Argos and the bombers. It was scheduled late in the year. The Argos had ever already clinched. They rested most of their players. And we actually never did see a legitimate great cup rematch. So I think, you know, you address a few things that the fans have expressed opinions on. They want to see a great cup rematch early in the season, opening week, ideally. And they want to see every team play home and home. And like, I think I understand that, you know, they're, there was a lot of, you know, doubt about the economics of this league coming out of the pandemic. And, and I think understandably the league was willing to, you know, cut corners or shave costs at places that they hadn't before. And I think it's a good sign for the overall health of the league that now we're going back to the home and home schedule. You know, everybody playing at everybody else in the league, at least once.
1: Yeah. A lot of people don't remember that you know, the government of Canada was giving uh, was giving help to a lot of organizations, but they refused to help the Canadian Football League. So understandably, they had to cut corners where I guess not really cut corners, but they had to do what they had to do to kind of rebuild. Right.
0: But yeah, they had to try to reduce expenses. I mean, and this isn't the only thing. I mean, it, it, in some ways, I think the pandemic was good for business because it forced them to kind of be more efficient. And I think there were some issues that were, you know, pushed through that might've been hard to get through had there not been the pandemic things related to revenue sharing and and other cost saving measures. So this was one of them, but I think, you know, when you do things like this, you look at it and say, okay, where are we now? And what's the benefit of saving money on something like this versus playing a full schedule. And they clearly decided this is the direction they're going to go. I mean, the economics of the pandemic were obviously horrible because you you couldn't have full stadiums and fans weren't comfortable going out in some cases. And it just, you know, it was just so much uncertainty. So I think where you could, you wanted to try to save money.
1: Does the balanced schedule make it difficult at all for a team like Toronto to go 16 and two again?
0: I think it makes it harder just because you're playing fewer games in your division and in division means shorter road trips. It means saying, seeing the same teams and, you know, not, Last year, the West wasn't exactly a juggernaut, but historically that in the East would mean a softer schedule, you know, and and certainly if you're an Eastern team and you were missing a trip to BC, for instance, you know, that's a tough place for Eastern teams to play. So the fact that teams in the East are going to have to visit, I think it's always harder going East to West because you get into night games sometimes and things like that, where the body clock says it's midnight and the clock where you are says it's 10 o'clock or even earlier. So I think that, yeah, it's, it, it's going to make it more challenging for teams to put up, you know, incredible records, I think, when they've got to do the balanced schedule and got to make all those trips out west or out east, yeah, as the case may be. As you mentioned, you
1: know, Eastern team going west. We're going to see Touchdown Pacific this year on Labor Day weekend. I know the Lions are pretty stoked to actually be involved in a true Labor Day weekend game with the Ottawa Redblacks in Victoria.
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, we got some hints that there was not, Necessarily going to be a touchdown Atlantic game this year, that there might be a touchdown game, but not necessarily there. And I think you've got to tie in with the Great Cup because the Great Cup being in BC, you know, trying to regionalize. I think every team would love to regionalize its fan base a little more. I don't know whether that's, I don't know enough about Victoria to think, to know whether that's a legitimate expansion consideration at some point. Uh, the first conversation would be the first conversation in every one of these conversations. How do you get a stadium, a suitable stadium built? How do you finance that? But I don't know that this is as much about kind of putting a foot in expansion as it is, you know, about just kind of regionalizing the BC Lions and taking advantage of the Grey Cup being there. And, you know, maybe to some degree, letting Atlantic Canada know that the CFL isn't just going to show up there every year if they're not getting traction on expansion. And clearly, their purpose of being out there was they wanted to try to investigate the idea of a 10th team. I don't think they've got the traction they hope to get. and You know, it's kind of like you're dating somebody in the East Coast and you keep visiting them and they never invite you out. Uh, Maybe you go date somebody on the West Coast. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of, you know, that's sort of what this is like, I think.
1: That's a great way to look at it. And then another big thing that a lot of people are kind of jumping on right now is the Bo Levi Mitchell returning to Calgary week one. Is there even a possibility that Bo isn't in Hamilton anymore by that time?
0: Well, there's a, of course there's a possibility. I mean, he has a sizable bonus that has to be paid in January. Scott Milanovich is the head coach of that team. He was the offensive coordinator for their playoff game when he sat a healthy Bo Levi Mitchell until there was six minutes left in the game. You know, on the surface, just using logic, Scott Milanovich doesn't seem like a guy who would want to ride Bo Levi Mitchell for eighteen weeks next season. You know, and and if the Ticats don't want to employ him. I don't know where the next place is and I don't know that Bo wants to be a backup anywhere, you know, or be, I mean, he's never been that role pretty much in his entire career. He became a starter very quickly, was a number one guy, except for a very brief period at the end of Calgary. And at this stage of his life, I mean, obviously the compensation decreases significantly if you're not not a number one quarterback. So does he want to go be a one A or a number two somewhere else? I don't know. And I, if he's not the number one in Hamilton, I, I can't tell you where he would be the number one next season. So I think that's a very open question about Bo Mitchell and whether he'll be on the Ticast roster for opening week next season. The only
1: option I could really see potentially would be Ottawa if Masoli has another setback.
0: Yeah. I, I think Ottawa has had so much experience with injured quarterbacks that they would be unlikely to go down that road. I mean, you just go back to, you know, Matt Nichols and then, you you know, you have follow that up with Jeremiah Mazzoli. And if, you know, if Bo, the big question going into last year with Bo was one, could he stay healthy? And two, if he was, you know, was he too beat up from previous injuries to be the player he used to be? And the first one, we got an answer. No, he couldn't stay healthy. And the second one, you know, there are a lot of opinions on that one, but there's, you know, some evidence to suggest that he he's not the player he used to be. And so, you know, you you put those two things together, I do not see Ottawa, especially with you know a GM and a coach who are on pretty hot seats to start next season, saying, you know, we're going to risk our jobs on on Bo Levi Mitchell as our number one quarterback. I just think they they've got to go down a road. You know, the one thing that Dustin Crumb gave them last year, uh, besides a few spectacular moments, was he played every game. You know, he he they they had a guy who went and took a pounding a lot of weeks, but you know, they weren't scraping injured quarterbacks off the field. And I think that's something that Ottawa uh probably has a lot of sensitivity to when they're looking at options, and including for Jeremiah Mazzoli. You know, I think that's probably, you know, the the, the sole reason why they wouldn't want him to be their number number one, you know, without a 1A at least involved there because it's been two years in a row that he's been unable to stay on the field.
1: Sticking with, I guess, Bo and more so Hamilton, why did Orlando Steinhauer decide to change things up or was it his decision to step off the field and put it more in Milanovic's hands? Uh,
0: you know, I think it was very much his, his decision. I mean, I, I know when I talked to to Scott Mitchell, the managing partner of that team during the Great Cup week, he was pretty clear to me that, you know, they were just kind of letting a couple of weeks pass before they sat down and decided where this was going to go. And Steinauer had to think about his future and what he wanted to do. I, I, I think that the last two years of coaching were pretty intense because the Ticats had struggled with great expectations, having lost in the great cup in overtime in 21, hosting the game again in, in 23. And I think there was just a time for Steinauer to drop back and, and you know just, just take it from a little different perspective. You know, coaching is pretty intense and he'd done it for a number of years and, and so I, I think this was kind of a mutual thing, but I, I think that certainly Orlando Steinauer was given a lot of grace in terms of how he wanted to structure this. And i, I make no mistake, he's in charge. I mean, th- this is Orlando Steinauer's team, so it's not like he's forced out the door here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, The role has been changed, but they, the Ticats are still very much in Orlando Steinauer's hands. And then also another team
1: with maybe high expectations this year, the Saskatchewan Roughriders Riders went with Corey Mace, Was that a surprise at all, or did you kind of see that coming?
0: Uh, Look, I I think Corey Mace was an obvious leading candidate, uh, and I'll go back to a year ago. You know, he was a finalist in Ottawa when when, when Bob Dice got that job. And, you know, following that, Toronto's defense went out and had a spectacular year. So you combine that he was already a candidate for a head coaching job a year ago. You look at the way Toronto's defense played this year. And, you know, I would say Corey Mace is somebody who has – a high high degree of respect among players among everybody really in the cfl but in the course of being a head coach i think players is what matters so i think he was a, a you know from the outset a very strong candidate and i would suggest that he's probably the kind of candidate who the more they got to know him the more they liked him uh you know he's he's a still a young man at 37 you know retired from playing relatively early played in both leagues in the nfl and the cfl of course and is a western canadian guy originally so he's going back i and so, you know, going out West for him is not really a foreign land. And, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, you know, I look, ultimately his popularity will be determined by how the Rough Riders do on the field. But I think off the field, at least initially, I'm not surprised by the reaction in Saskatchewan to Corey Mace. He's a smart guy. He understands the significance of where he is and, and you know, the kind of the necessity to become part of the community in that role. Uh, I, think, I think all those things you know, are going to make him very popular off the start. We'll see what happens when uh, when the games come because you don't stay popular in Saskatchewan as the head coach if you don't win. But I, you know, just in, I think he's a very deserving candidate and uh, I'm very glad to see him get this opportunity. And a true homecoming
1: is the new offensive coordinator, Calgary's former quarterback coach, Mark Mueller, is coming home.
0: Yeah, guy who grew up in Regina. You know, of course, he is the uh, grandson of the legendary Ron Lancaster. He played at the University of Regina, went straight into coaching. And, yeah, I mean, that, I, look, this can, like everything, it can cut two ways, right? If he's if he's successful, what a great story. You know, the, the grandson of the arguably the greatest quarterback the franchise has ever had. Uh, you know, 40, 50 years after Ronnie Lancaster was throwing the ball, Mark Mueller's going to be calling the plays. It's a great story if they win, yes. <laughs> you know. And If they don't, it'll it'll be a nice story with a you know an uncomfortable ending because that's just the way it goes. But I, I on the surface, I think it's a it's a really nice story and I, for Saskatchewan, a really nice story for the Rough Riders and a guy who obviously comes from a program that's had a lot of success. Working, I think Dave Dickinson is probably as an offensive coach. You learn at his hand. There's probably no better place to learn the game. So uh, it's it's a again it's there's there's a nice fit there and and uh, obviously Corey having been in Calgary as well, Corey Mays you know, has some, has some history there as well. And that's certainly a lot of what goes into putting coaching staffs together. Who have you worked with before? Who do you trust? Who do you know you want to work with again? And I'm sure that's part of what went into this for Corey Mace.
1: He's going to have another similar situation. We were talking earlier about injury quarterbacks, Trevor Harris. Um, Mark said that he's interested and really excited to build this offense with Trevor Harris. What do you see that situation looking like in
0: 2024? Well, Trevor Harris is not a guy. first of all he's 38, right? Uh, I believe next season I think he's 38, 37 this year. I'm I'm going by instinct on this one. But, but he's not a guy who's had a horrible history of injuries. In fact, it's been quite the opposite, you know. And look, any quarterback can get injured. Just look at the National Football League. There's lots of guys that have not had histories of injuries that are getting injured. And I would not put Trevor Harris in the same category sort of as a Bo Levi Mitchell or a, a Jeremiah Mazzoli in terms of an injury risk because he, he you know, he hasn't been that guy. I think he's somebody who keeps himself, you know, in pretty good shape for his age, and I think he's somebody who can still throw the football, and get the job done. And and no disrespect to Trevor, but there's also not that many options, right? If you're not going to go, look, I would say life, football, like life, is about options, right? Yeah. And and when you look at the market right now and say, okay, well, if we're not going to bring Trevor Harris back, what are we going to do? It's not a great free agent market for available quarterbacks. At least there's some guys you'd have to roll the dice on. There are some guys that are not in this league who could come back to this league. Uh, but I don't know that any of them sort of knock your socks off beyond what Trevor Harris would give you. So when you factor in the continuity of him being there, you know, knowing the team, knowing the city, all those kinds of things, I, I could very much see the rep riders rolling with Trevor Harris in 2024.
1: Is there any possibility at all? Because I know that you follow Nathan Rourke quite a bit. Is there any possibility that maybe it just doesn't work out for him in Jacksonville or the NFL? And is there maybe a scenario that he comes back to Canada?
0: Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, look, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen this year. I, I think, look, I think Nathan Rourke watching, and I haven't talked to him about this, so I'm going to speculate here a little bit. I think I'm sure him watching a lot of quarterbacks with resumes no better than his getting opportunities to play this year because they're playing by injured guys probably has not diminished his commitment to want to play in the national football league at all. You know, you're looking at guys saying, man, I I'm as good as that guy. I could play as well as that guy. You know, I, if I was there, I'd get that opportunity. And again, I haven't spoken to him. I'm just yeah. speculating. Yeah. I, I, he, he must be thinking as he looks guy, at guys who are, you know, not any proof they're any better than he is getting opportunities to start. So, I don't think that would be the kind of thing that would put you off. I think it would probably be the thing that would make you more determined. I mean, he's only 26 next year. Uh, The only things he's done in the NFL, he's done very well. It's not like he's failed to any degree. Uh, The question is going to be, you know, does he, is he in Jacksonville next year? Right. Or is he somewhere else? And, you know, he's on a practice roster for a lot of this time. I believe he's on the active roster again this week for the second week in a row. But, you know, when he's been on a practice roster, any team could take him. But again, Teams don't plug and play quarterbacks unless they're in desperate situations. And usually when they are in those desperate situations, they're looking for guys with starting experience, veteran guys. That's how Joe Flacco ends up in Cleveland, not Nathan Rourke, right? Because he does there's nothing on his resume to tell you that that he can he can be your guy in an NFL season because he's only done it in the preseason. So he needs one of these opportunities. I mean, it sounds terrible to say but you know he needs an injury to, to trevor Harris. or to excuse me to to trevor lawrence to give him yeah. an opportunity and that's not wishing bad luck on trevor lawrence we all know that if the jacksonville jaguars have their way trevor lawrence will take every snap till 2040 you know like that's <laughs> yep. what Brooks never going to play as long as he's in jacksonville and trevor lawrence is healthy so the only way he's going to play is one lawrence gets hurt see what cj bethard could do to hang on to the job and two he moves on to another team so, but I, I don't, my instincts tell me that both in terms of the opportunities that may be there for him and his commitment to want to see this through in the NFL, I would be, put me in the category of very, very, very surprised if Nathan Rourke is throwing the football in Canada in 2024.
1: Is there any opportunity for, you know, a blow up team like the Raiders, who seem to blow up every year, um, take a chance? Because they did have a strong workout with him during the offseason. And then we see how Jimmy G went. Aiden O'Connell is okay, but I mean, he's not, I don't find him as a
0: Nathan Rourke caliber quarterback. Uh, I think the tough thing again is when you're talking about a guy who wasn't drafted and you're talking about a guy who even with his time in Canada, hasn't had that much play time. Mm -hmm. It's hard when your NFL resume has no playing experience other than preseason for a team to say, we're going to go with you guys. And it doesn't take a lot. Like we've seen situations where, you know, a guy has a handful of starts and gets an opportunity. And I, and sometimes as a number one, never mind a number two, but it's hard to get that, even that number two opportunity when your playtime says zero. Mm -hmm. So this is where the randomness of the NFL comes into it. Right. And this is where some fans on Twitter drive me nuts because there's this, you know, well, if he was good enough, he'd be playing down there thing. Okay. Can we please respect the nuances and subtleties of roster building in the NFL? This is not the American hockey league where you get called up and plugged in to play Mm -hmm. left wing. Second lineup, 12 hours after you got to town. Okay. It's football. And in the NFL, football is about roster development and roster construction. Teams only do those kinds of things when they're in desperate situations. When they're not, you know, they tend to plan these things out. So, you know, a a Nathan Rourke is going to have to be in a situation where through things beyond his control, he gets an opportunity to play. And then the conversation changes about what opportunities might be there for him based on what he's done in NFL regular season games. But until he gets those NFL regular season games, it's really hard for any team to say, you know, we're going to go in on him. And because it's it's just too risky for a GM, right? Because you, you, you're you going to go based on, like, and I look, I'm not being dismissive of his preseason experience. There's people, again, on Twitter, it was the preseason. Okay, how do you think we evaluate rookie players in the CFL or the NFL? We use preseason. Yep. Why? Because we don't have it regular season and <laughs> yep. coaches make decisions based on what they see in preseason. It's not irrelevant. Okay. But is it enough for a team to say, we're going to go with Nathan Rourke as our guy or our one A based on it could happen, but I think mm-hmm. it's unlikely. I think, it's, right. you know, it, what Nathan Rourke needs is an opportunity where he gets like what Tommy DeVito's getting in, in New York right now, where you get to play three or five games and you, and you show what you can do. And, and all of a sudden, People can see you on tape and see how you handle a live game situation, all those kinds of things that he's only done in the preseason. But until he gets that opportunity, you know, I don't see teams investing in him or taking great risks on him.
1: And we're going to finish off today with his brother, Curtis. Um, What are his chances of coming to the CFL next year? Well, uh, I I think Curtis,
0: it sounds like is going to play another year of college football Mm -hmm. And, and we don't know where, He's in the transfer portal. He's had some offers. Yep. I think there's probably a decision coming relatively quickly. Uh, I know, you know, one point in the year he was thinking that he was probably he was going to go into the NFL and CFL drafts this year. Now he still will be in the CFL draft because you don't opt in or out of the CFL draft. It's based on the calendar where you play. So even though he has a year of college football remaining because of the COVID season, he will be in the CFL draft this year, which is going to mean that teams are going to be drafting blind, and by that I mean. They don't really know what his pro prospects are because he's got another year of college football ahead of him that could drastically change that. Whereas if he was done in college, you could look at it and say, OK, like everybody else, here's what his NFL opportunities are. How do we want to weigh that against what we think of him as a CFL player? And do we, where do we take the risk on a draft pick for him? Someone's going to have to roll the dice here because no one's really sure what this is going to be. Curtis Rourke had a down year. Uh, You know, I think the ACL injury held him back. He wasn't the same player that he was a year ago. And I think there's probably an opportunity for him to go back and maybe with better health, put up a better season and improve his NFL prospects. I mean, he's a six, five guy who's thrown for a ton of yards in college. You know, his, his certainly some of the things his brother has done, you know, don't hurt him by any means either. Although I think he's, you know, he's made his own name for himself, but, I don't think we're going to see him in the CFL in 2024. Uh, I think we're going to see him playing college football again and then see where that shakes out at the, at the end of his, what would be a, an extra season of college football for him.
1: Does it work the same way where um, like I've been, I've worked with a CFL team at training camp for a number of years and you always see guys who have an extra year of eligibility. They stay with the right, stay with the team, but they get sent back to the school. Is that a possibility at all for Curtis going into the US?
0: Now, once you once you put your hand up and you declare that you're going to the draft, that's it. Even if you're not in, even if you misjudge your future wildly, you cannot pivot. You know, uh, in April and May, and say, "Oh, I didn't get drafted or signed. I'm going to go back and and play the play college football again." They, once once that door slams behind you in the NCAA, there is no unlocking it. So I guess
1: that's kind of more the benefit for uh for players to play in youth sport and in Canada rather than
0: yep. in CAA. It's great. I think that you can be drafted and and you think of it, that's the way hockey works, right? They mm-hmm. draft guys and bring them into camp and if you're not ready, you go back and play junior again. You know, that's it would it would make a lot of sense, honestly, if the NFL would, would allow that because you know, if you if you drafted a guy, had his rights, but then decided he wasn't ready to play as a rookie. I mean, the only thing is that injuries are such a big thing in football that teams would actually probably rather have guys just work out in practice than go being hammered in college football, right? Especially in certain positions because by the time he gets to you, it's damaged goods. I, I say this sometimes, football, and particularly in certain positions like running back, it's one of the only professions in the world where, experience is not always an asset they they, mm-hmm. they don't want to see that you've played too much football because they they understand that there's a you know there's an attrition factor in the game and if you've played you know i'm you're a running back you're taking 30 snaps a game for three seasons you know nfl teams are gonna be concerned about that all right so going back to play more yeah wouldn't necessarily be so it's, it's on an individual versus individual basis but i think that would be the reason you know, that teams and, and let's be honest, the, the level of, of football, U you sport, you're going to get a lot more, a higher percentage of your top prospects in U sport who aren't quite pro ready mm-hmm. that can use that extra development once they've been to a pro camp, learn some things, pick some things, know what they've got to work on. They go back to U sport and work on those things and come back, you know, the cream of the crop in the NFL, in the NCAA you've got less of that need for that, probably go back to college and develop, right? There are players in the in the NCAA that are not pro ready, but those aren't the ones that are being drafted and signed. Whereas in the CFL, because, you know, we have what, 27 college football teams in this country and, you know, the United States has hundreds, uh, you know, the, even the cream of the crop in this country, a lot of them are not pro ready. And so going back for an extra year of college football, once they've had some pro coaching is more beneficial you you're going to get more out of that you'll take the risk of a guy getting hurt uh to to further his development in a way maybe you won't with a with a prospect coming out of the ncaa
1: that is that's a really great way to look at it and i'm glad that we were able to differentiate that because we see it all the time in canada but yeah it's completely different in the ncaa
0: <clears throat> so different that's the that's the thing the numbers of players you're talking about is just yeah. that's why the importance of development for canadians among cfl teams is so important because if you can't develop players there aren't enough players coming out of the draft that are just pro ready to fill your
1: have to be able to develop them. Dave, thank you very much. I know you're super busy. You got a plane to catch and some games to get to this weekend. So uh, we always appreciate you coming along and having a football chat with us this week.
0: My pleasure. And uh, maybe once we get close to end of January, early February, we can do something on free agency. Be happy to join you then.
1: Yeah, that would be great to kind of do either a recap or a, or a preview type thing
0: be happy to do it and and it's you know one of the things i know we didn't talk a lot of free agency in in this conversation and look there's some there's some intriguing guys you know Mm -hmm. like dalton Stone in winnipeg or drew brown in winnipeg or dane evans in in bc who all of a sudden finds himself you know in a market that's not going to be flush with experienced quarterbacks and but there's so much business that gets done between december the whatever we are today the 13th and by the time we get to end of january that really trying to cull through that list of free agents at this point of the year is almost fruitless because so many of those guys are going to be off the market by the time we get to the end of January. So look forward to having the conversation with you at that time.
1: Well, that is it for us this week. As always, you can find us on Instagram, X, and Threads. you can find us at around the CFL podcast and you can listen to us on Apple Amazon Spotify iHeart, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from and if you're enjoying the show please continue to leave those five-star ratings as we love seeing it and it just gives us more fuel to the fire to keep doing what we do we will be back again next week we are going to be doing a Christmas episode so that's gonna be fun For TSN's Dave Naylor, this is Anthony, and we'll see you later.